Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley from the Thread Bible Podcast. Last week, we began our journey through Genesis 1 through 12, the foundation text for the whole Bible. And today, we're going to see how God introduces himself into this story and the important role that darkness plays in the drama of our lives. Stay tuned. Welcome to Thread, God's Word tying together all the pieces of our lives through verse-by-verse study of the Bible. In season four, we're exploring the bedrock of the whole Bible, Genesis 1 through 12. The Thread Bible Podcast is brought to you by Medialite Asia. You know, one of the hardest things I've ever had to come up with is the elevator pitch for Medialite. I mean, you know what? you do, and you know why it's important, but summarizing it all in 45 seconds as though you're in an elevator and someone says, hey, what do you do? You know, it's hard to do. And it's the same with how do you introduce yourself to other people? Because in all of our lives, there's just so much to us. You know, I could say, hi, I'm, I'm Chuck Quinley, and I'm a father. I could say, I'm a writer. I could say I'm a leader. I can say I'm a podcaster. I can say I write scripts. I could say I'm a teacher. There's just so much to who I am, and that's just a little part of it. Those are my public sides. Um, That's the dilemma, and in our passage today, God himself is faced with that same situation. How will he introduce himself to all humans and to their story? Is he going to start with, I'm the judge of the earth, live well in front of me because I will judge your life? Or is he going to say, I'm your father? Or is he going to say, I love you, I love you, I love you? Or is it, what's he going to say about himself? Let's just see what he chooses. So this section, chapter 1 of Genesis, is called by some people the creation overture. You'll notice that the story of creation in Genesis is given twice, back-to-back, chapter 1, and then again in chapter 2. And this, like everything else in the book of Genesis, is intentional. This book is like an algebraic equation, carefully constructed and then balanced throughout the rest of Scripture, perfected in the last pages of Revelation. You'll see these concepts coming back. So let's open to the very first page of the Bible, and let's begin our study by reading its first paragraph. And since we're reading the creation overture, let's have a little music. Cue overture music. Now, it's called the overture because there is no drama. There's no villain as yet. There is no rebellion against the Creator. Just the Maker of the universe in His secret place, wrapped up in the process of bringing into existence His passion project. His vision of a universe 
with one special blue planet. And it reads like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. The first thing Yahweh wants us to know about himself, and actually, we don't get his name yet. That comes later. But in the very first verse, technically, what it says in Hebrew is, in the beginning, a supernatural being created the heavens, plural, and the earth. And earth is feminine in its form, so like, sort of like Mother Earth. In the beginning, a supernatural being created the heavens and Mother Earth, or feminized Earth. What is he going to tell us about himself? The very first thing he wants us to know about himself is that he is the creator. He's the maker. Everything was made by him. The color red, the sun, tears, DNA, seeds, wind, fingerprints, star patterns, butterflies, time. He makes things. He's creative. He's the creator. It's the main thing he does with his mind and with his energies. I read one rabbi who said it this way, Jehovah is the only artisan deity, and his masterpiece is the world, creator. That's the way he chooses to introduce himself to mankind. When the first human, the representative of us all opens his eyes. He sees the face of this God bending over him, breathing his life into him. And the God tells us we aren't random. We aren't animals. We aren't accidents. We are his creation. He tells us we're made in his image, that we reflect him on the earth. You know, at Medialite, we believe that creativity is worship. Only God can create. And all humans who make anything only do so by drawing on His abilities. And that's why the creative fields are such places of spiritual contest. Because the devil can't create. He can only vandalize. But I'm getting way ahead of the story. So let's go back to verse 1. Verse 1, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. I think this is the perfect first line for the book. So clear. Because really the Bible, you know, it's two inches thick and it covers such a huge subject. But here in just seven words, it's all been summarized. What is this story going to be about? Ah, it's about the heavens and the earth. Because that's what God creates, not just earth, heavens and earth. And by Genesis 2, 4, 
the order gets reversed and it becomes earth and the heavens. It's a package deal. God creates the heavens and the earth. So specifically, Genesis, as part of the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, in Jewish culture, they just call it Moses, read Moses. These first five books of the Bible, this is the story of the impact of the heavens and the earth on each other. It's two societies, two life forms, two groups made by God and how their actions affect each other. Genesis, as we said, is a theological account of our creation. The writer is completely focused on God and his relationship with the inhabitants of both the heavens and the earth. This book is their story. It explains how the earth got in the condition it is today, what it means, what we can do about it. The overture opens with the creator of all, intently focused on making the life planet and the systems that it will need for support. And as we'll see later, this special planet will be the portal. It's the place of overlap between two dimensions, the spiritual world, the heavens, and a new tangible physical world, the earth. And the most amazing thing of all, this world will become God's new home and the headquarters of his government as he reigns over all he now creates. So later, we'll look at his government, his heavenly government, these beings that surround the creator at all times. And we'll look at Eden, this physical mountain headquarters of the Lord. But let's go back into the story of creation again. In the beginning, a supernatural being created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. This is a really important section, because day one of creation introduces the idea that the act of creation itself is a struggle against two powers. The first of these great powers that God has to struggle against is a destructive force that we could, we could well just call it in modern terms, entropy. Uh, entropy is the second law of thermodynamics and physics. It's, a, it's also a spiritual principle. It means the gradual decline of everything into disorder. The gradual decline from order to disorder. It's a principle of physics. Spiritually, though, it's a persistent dark force that causes the gradual destruction of positive things, the destruction of things that have been created, things that exist, how it drags them down to dissolve them and scatter them until there's no form and it becomes empty. In Hebrew, it's a rhyming, it's two words that rhyme. It's tohu, vabohu, void and desolate, emptiness and desolation. But in Hebrew, these are nouns. They're things, not adjectives. And so as the creator rises up to create, he must overcome tohu, vabohu, this, this force, not a 
being but a thing. You know, I've, um, like I said before, I've spent the last two years in this massive construction project. And I have witnessed Tohu Vabohu out the window of of my office. Uh, we have, um, you can you can pile, I, we, we dump this pile of sand. And so the sand is there. When it gets dropped, it comes to a peak. And day by day, as I look at the sand, it gets lower and it gets broader. And what was a form, you know, a, a mountain shape, gets spread farther and farther and farther. And finally, this pile of sand will cover a huge area, but it won't be a pile anymore. It'll just be a little layer on the top. You can, now that we've built this facility, it's a beautiful facility, but every single day it is already on its way down. The doors don't close. The locks grab. The grass overgrows the boundary. Weeds come up. You know, if if all I did was walk away, like build this place perfectly, lock all the doors, walk away for five years, and then come back, it won't be in the same condition. It won't be better. It'll be broken down. Because why? Tohu vabohu, this, this entropy that is that is everywhere. It's in everything. And the Creator God can't make anything until He conquers tohu vabohu, this entropy that pulls everything down and breaks things and turns them into nothingness. And the Creator exerts His power against this relentless force that pulls all things apart. Colossians says, Christ holds all things together. So that's the first power that the the supernatural being that created the world, it's the first power he encounters, and he has to overcome it, this power that breaks things down. He has to push energy against it and push it back. But there's a second power. Stay tuned. This uh, darkness, it's a theme that goes all the way through the Bible, the battle between darkness and light. Uh, One of the stories that you'll encounter early is this story in Egypt where Israel is now in a place of darkness, and God judges Egypt with the darkness that, that it is to its region and and the, the scripture says there was darkness in Egypt, thick darkness. You couldn't see your hand in front of your face. It was a darkness you could feel. But if you crossed over into the territory where Abraham's family lived, there was light in Goshen. And because we're not talking about just physical darkness, we're talking about a spiritual power. And Paul says we're not wrestling with with humans, we're wrestling with darkness. And so as the, as the creation is, is being attempted, as the concept of what God wants to build is, 
is going to come to become a real thing, he has to encounter these two great powers, entropy, trying to pull it all down and destroy it, and darkness, a spiritual darkness. This darkness is covering what? The deep. And this is a, a word that's hard to, it's hard to translate. It's a black, primeval ocean, the abyss. But every word kind of has a problem, because if you say abyss, a lot of people think of it as just a chasm. That is not the ancient concept. There is this bottomless, mysterious, black, more than an ocean. It's the deep. And here it's personified also as female. Darkness was over the face of the deep. And again, this is a theological narrative. It's about the true... See, that's the thing about story that people don't understand. It's a theological narrative about the true reality of things, of real things. The theological narrative will tell you the truth. It will tell you about the reality of the things around us and their meaning. It's not the scientific reporting of material creation. This darkness is a spiritual reality. And Yahweh's first action in creation is to overcome the entropy that holds things down and then to overcome the darkness that is holding the abyss in its shadow. And to do this, he sends his own spirit And again, another word that we just cannot find a right translation for. It is, it's the same word for his breath. It's the same word for his wind, his own spirit, his own essence. And he sends it to the abyss to to move in flight over the abyss, over the waters of the deep to hover and to move over it, owning the deep protecting the deep, rolling back the darkness that is has it enshadowed and covered in darkness. And we're going to see this same relationship between God's Spirit, His Ruach, His wind, His breath, and deep waters. We're going to see that relationship later in the flood narrative and again in the crossing of the Red Sea in the book of Exodus, where God's Spirit is connected to waters. And the Spirit hovers over waters. And this image is perhaps like a sexual union. You could almost take it that way. John Milton certainly took it that way. He wrote that the Spirit, quote, dove-like sat brooding on the vast abyss and madest it pregnant. So as the darkness is trying to conquer the abyss, the Spirit comes and gently hovers over the abyss because life is inside of the abyss. It's a horrifying place. It's it's full of power. It's tumultuous. It's, It's an ocean that is so deep. All the world is down inside of it, and it's a spiritual battle, but the Spirit of God is hovering over it. You know, Yahweh rises. He conquers the darkness. He pierces it with divine light. Let there be light. Now, this is not sunlight. 
This isn't, these are not photons. It's a spiritual battle. And he uses spiritual light from within himself to push back the darkness. He doesn't create planets, sun, moon, stars. That all comes later. This is the spiritual reality that goes behind, I think, every act of creation, but certainly the creation of our world. It we came about based on a spiritual battle. Earth is totally without light. We cannot light ourselves, and we cannot survive without light from above. We're radically dependent upon the provision of light from the Creator. He is a maker of us, and He is our sustainer, and He is the only legitimate ruler of all. And this is true physically, and later God will create our sun and our moon. But before we can uh, look into those things, we're talking still about a spiritual battle that had to take place before anything else could be created. The Apostle John talks about this war between darkness and God's light in the first chapter of the Gospel of John, which he copies from this opening in Genesis. He's speaking about Jesus, and he writes these words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light is shining in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, an interesting thing in God's battle with the darkness to create his world is that God does not obliterate the darkness. It's so weird. You would expect he would just fire up divine light and the light would destroy the darkness, but instead he forces darkness to become his servant and ours. I mean, darkness is a dangerous, as we can see, it's a dangerous life-extinguishing force, but it's also a tool, and this tool is beneficial to us overall if it is kept in check. So here in this story, we see our Creator providing us with both light and the darkness that we need. He limits darkness so that it will have only enough power to be beneficial to us and to God's purposes on earth. Again, God does not destroy the darkness. He simply limits its power. This is really important. He uses a destructive thing, and this is a hint at things to come in this book, God's Secret Knowledge. We'll be right back. God knows what to do, how to do it, 
when to do it. It's secret knowledge. He even uses destructive things. And later, we're going to face uh, a tree, a tree that's called the tree of the knowledge of Tov and Ra, the tree of the knowledge of good and bad, of positive and negative, this knowledge that God has. And he's willing to share this knowledge that sometimes in order to achieve a positive result, you use something dangerous, something destructive. There are times you you actually must destroy in order to create. But it takes God to understand where the lines are on this. A tree of experiencing, the tree of, of knowing it by experience, good and bad. This is God's secret knowledge. It is his wisdom. And he's willing to share it with us, as we'll see later. He is willing to share it with us. He wants us to become wise. But it's his deep knowledge. This is something like uh, atomic power in the natural world. Raw, bad, negative, uh, destructive. Raw can destroy everything. And darkness. Darkness will constantly try to overcome light and try to extinguish it. But God has it all in uh, intention, and he keeps these things in tension. And this will help us, hopefully as believers, come up with a theology of pain, because you're going to have pain in your life. You're going to have times that things do not turn the way you want them to go. And a lot of people think God's job is to keep all the bad things from happening to us. But he is a God of great wisdom, and sometimes he uses a dark thing and a hard thing to bring us into a beautiful place. And so in this case, God says, Let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. He called the light day The darkness he called night. Uh, In the old world, when you named something, you named your children, anything you could name was yours. You owned it. It came from you, and you were the owner of it. So he takes darkness, which is everywhere. It's all there is. Darkness is the default state, and it stays everywhere, and God takes it, and he just makes it a thing, and he gives it a name, and he gives it a job. He conquers it in that way. And then he says something that we will hear him say seven times in this story, and the number seven is very important. You're going to see it over and over again. God saw the light that it was good. You're going to see this construction. Uh, God saw or men saw or Eve saw, someone saw that it was good. Not morally good. It means it passes his standards. It works. It is desirable. God is content with the creation, with his spiritual light and what spiritual light is doing to, de- to define and divide the light from the darkness and to control the darkness, God's looking at the, you know, sort of like uh, the ratio, the percentage, the strength of his light and the strength of allowance in the darkness, you know, the tension between the two. And he says, 
That's good. It passes my standards. It works. He named it. He owns it. And he reduces darkness to a thing with a name and a purpose that serves him and his purposes. He even makes darkness and night serve us. So let's wrap up. This is what we've learned. Darkness and tohu vabohu entropy are the default states of the universe. Those who shake their fist at heaven and shout, go away, leave us alone, have no idea what would happen should God lose his love for us. Because if he ever stops pushing back the forces of entropy that suck against all that exists on this planet, we'll become in an instant barren, silent, and dark as the moon. But Thank God, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. He does not grow tired. He never sleeps. His mercies never come to an end. He has made a covenant with all that he has created. And even now, he is working to bring us back to the garden. And he will one day live in this place again with us and everything will be as he intended on this first day of creation. And the story ends with these words, so the evening and the morning were the first day. I hope you're enjoying this podcast. Please share it with your friends. And if you don't mind, go on the iTunes store and leave us a positive review so that others can hear about the podcast and join in too. Thanks again. See you next time. Expect God to use you today because you are the light of the world.